wonder how many of you have ever heard of David Miller. Now, that's a pretty common name, and there are probably lots of David Millers out there. There's even a, a realtor here in our community named David Miller. You see his billboards around town once in a while. I'm not talking about that David Miller. I wonder if you've heard about David Miller, a fellow who's living on Tennessee's death row, David Miller. He has the current status of the fellow who's been on death row the longest. David Miller was convicted of murder in Knox County back in March of 1982. He's been on death row for 34 years. He was 26 years old when he was convicted. He's 60 years old now, still living on Tennessee's death row. There are actually 64 people on death row in Tennessee But there have been no executions since 2009. Uh, So, what do you think about all that? I think we would all agree that the idea of the death penalty is intended to be a deterrent against people who might be tempted to commit capital offenses. If you'd be tempted to commit a crime, you'd have to think twice about it because if you did, you might be executed for your crime. But that's not much of a deterrent, not these days, when a person could be convicted of murder and live on death row for 34 years. I think you would agree with me, that's not much of a deterrent at all. Well, this morning we want to base our lesson on the idea that when sentence is delayed, when you don't carry out the sentence against that which is wrong, then it loses all of its power. We've been studying in the book of Ecclesiastes, and in Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 11, Solomon makes a true observation. He says, Because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. We've been talking in our Wednesday night study. We've been studying Ecclesiastes on Wednesday nights, and We've been noticing, of course, there that Solomon talks about a lot of things that he saw that were wrong, that were frustrations to him, things that needed to be corrected and changed. One of the things he talked about was injustice and the lack of doing right, even by authorities and those in civil government and positions of power. And here is one of those observations that certainly is a true statement. Solomon is saying that if you don't carry out a sentence, when someone's done something wrong and you don't address that and do it in a timely manner, what it results is that the deterrent effect is lost and people get even more determined to do evil. That was true way back then, about 3,000 years ago. And I want to suggest to you that it is a definite truth that is also applicable today. We want to talk about that in our lesson this morning. Before we get any further into that, we stop to thank you for being here. We appreciate one and all. Glad you've come together on this beautiful Lord's Day to worship God. As Yancey prayed a moment ago, we we hope and trust that he will be pleased with what we do in our assembly this morning. That certainly is our ultimate goal, to please, to honor, to glorify God in heaven. We hope we can do that. We know that we do do that when, as we studied in our Bible class this morning, we keep the word. We've got to keep the word. We've got to do all things by his authority. And that's what we're trying to do. And so if you have any question this morning... Uh, anybody, member or visitor alike, if you have a question about what's being done or why it's being done that way, please ask. We'll sit down and try to show from the Scriptures why we're doing what we do and how we do it. If if we're wrong, we want to change. If we're right, we want all to follow that same pattern 
so ask any questions you may have. If you're visiting with us today, we're especially glad you've come our way. Let's talk about sentence delay. I think the clearest and most obvious application of this principle has to do with criminal conduct. Uh, when sentence is delayed against those who commit crimes, what happens? Well, they become more hardened and they're more determined to do that which is wrong. Our criminal justice system has got lots of issues in the current day. Uh, when someone commits a crime in our day, very few are actually even apprehended for the crimes that they commit. Then when some are apprehended, they many are released, maybe because uh, of overcrowding in the jails. We can't, we can't prosecute anymore. We don't have a place to put them. Or maybe some technicality has occurred. You know, maybe they weren't read their rights accurately or something. And so even though they're guilty of the crime, they're, they're excused before they even stand trial because of some technicality like that. Those who do stand trial, uh, few are convicted. And then even those who are convicted, you know, they engage in a series of appeals of their conviction that may last for years and years. What's the result of all that delayed sentencing? Well, the hearts of the son of men is fully set in them to do evil. Solomon had it right about that. And I think we see that. Our practical experience in our society today bears out what Solomon was saying. Punishment is little deterrent to crime in our day and time. And so there's more and more and more crime. What does the Word of God say about this? Well, in 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning verse 13, Peter says, Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme or as unto governors, as unto them that are sent by him. Notice, for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. It is a specific God-given duty of civil government to punish evildoers. Uh, that's the role that God has assigned to them. Some misguided religious leaders speak out against punishing evil, especially uh, about capital punishment, about the death penalty. But when we read the Scriptures, we understand that this is an assigned role of government, and civil leaders are expected to do this very thing. They're, they are there for the purpose of punishing evildoers. In Romans chapter 13, beginning verse 1, in the text that Roger read for us earlier, we remember that Paul dealt quite thoroughly here with civil government and their role. Beginning verse 1 of Romans 13, Let every soul be subject to the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power resisteth the ordinance of God, and they that resist will receive, shall receive to themselves damnation. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same, for he is the minister of God to thee for good. Notice this. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he bears not the sword in vain, for he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Well, notice, it's supposed to be so that if you would consider committing crime, you ought to be afraid. The text even uses that word, if thou do that which is evil, be afraid. He bears not the sword in vain. I'm going to tell you, people are not much afraid of civil government and the, and the role of uh, our criminal justice system. It ought to be so, but it's not. Uh, swift punishment of evildoers is supposed to serve as a deterrent to crime. I think this text is very definitely stating that, and that is not happening today like it should. 
So when Solomon made this easy observation, if you don't punish something quickly, then people will be determined to do more of that sort of thing. That that has an obvious application to criminal activity. I want to suggest to you that there are other applications of the principle as well. And, And I think another one that we could cite would be in regards to discipline of children. The same idea applies. If you don't speedily punish children when they do wrong things, then what happens is they do more wrong things. You know, on the virtual Bible study on Thursday, Monty was mentioning when he was a kid, and probably all of us have had some of this same experience, you know, your parents would say, if you do that one more time, I'm going to give you a whipping. I'm I'm telling you, if you do that one more time now, I'm going to give you a whipping. I thought I told you if you do that again, I was going to give you a whipping, and the whipping never comes. What happens to a kid when he's threatened like that and the whipping doesn't come? They figure out he can get by with that. They're going to talk about it, but they're never going to follow through with it. The punishment, the sentence is never administered and the kid gets worse and worse. We've all known some parents who do that continually. Uh, we've got a, a particular fellow, uh, Cindy will know who I have in mind in, in our family. And that's all he ever did to his kids was threaten. He threatened them continually and he never punished them and the kids did not turn out well. That's the problem, right? Solomon was making an observation here that is applicable to child rearing. You either do it, do it in a timely fashion, or you're going to pay a price for that. Consequences will not be good. There are so many statements in the book of Proverbs about child rearing, especially about punishing children for doing that which is wrong. Just look at a few of them quickly with me. Proverbs 13, verse 20. Uh, 24, 13, 24. He that spareth his rod hateth his son, but he that loveth him chasteneth him betimes. Uh, 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 several decades ago, there was this failed child-rearing philosophy which suggested that we shouldn't be punishing our children at all. No discipline of children. You've got to let them pretty much have free reign. That's been generally discarded now as a failed child-rearing philosophy. It doesn't work. But actually, the Word of God was always saying, That won't work. Notice that if you love your children, you will discipline them. Now, it would be easier to look the other way. That's why parents make those threats. If you do that again, I'm going to whip you. If you do that again, I'm going to whip you. If you do that, the reason why they don't get around to the whipping is because the whipping is not pleasant for anybody. It's It's not pleasant for the child. It's not pleasant for the parent either. But if you love them, you will do that. That's what love requires. That's what Proverbs 13, 24 is saying. And Proverbs 19, verse 18, Chasten thy son while there is hope, and let not thy soul spare for his crying. Notice here, there's a window of opportunity here. Chasten thy son while there is hope. The implication of that is there won't always be hope. You know, if you don't do it now while you've got this window of opportunity, then when that opportunity is passed, uh, you'll be sorry for it. Uh, Do not let your soul spare for his crying. Proverbs 22, verse 6, you know this verse. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. When do you do the training? You train up a child when he's young, right? And what you want is this result, that when he is old, he will not depart from it. You do that work while he is young, and it will bear lifetime benefits for him and for all. When he is old, he will not depart from it. Proverbs 22, verse 15, Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. We might comment here about the expression, the rod of correct, corrupt, uh, rod of correction. I'll get that out. 
the rod of correction. There have been some people who criticize the Bible saying that the Bible teaches or endorses or even encourages child abuse. And they would cite a passage like this that speaks of the rod of correction uh, as an indication of the biblical teaching which tends toward child abuse. We just deny that absolutely. Uh, there's far too much teaching in the Scripture about the proper place of love. This discipline is administered in love. This is not child abuse. And we would deny those who would teach that this implies child abuse. It does not. What it, what it says is that we must discipline. Uh, and without discipline, this foolishness, which is in the heart of a child, will stay there. And then in adulthood, it will also be manifesting itself because it was never gotten out through properly administered child discipline. Proverbs 23, verse 13, beginning, Withhold not correction from the child, for if thou beatest him with the rod, he shall not die. Thou shalt beat him with the rod, and notice, shall deliver his soul from hell. That child discipline is not necessary just for considerations in this present lifetime, but that if we as parents fail to discipline our children as we should, we could very well be affecting their eternal outcome uh, if we discipline properly, we'll deliver their soul from hell. And then finally, Proverbs 29, beginning verse 15. The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. Notice, a child left to himself. I want to tell you, that's a description that fits far too many family circumstances in our world today. Children are being left to themselves. They're receiving no discipline. And what happens is it brings shame to the mother. Notice, let me go back to that. It's correct thy son, and he shall give thee rest, yea, he shall give delight unto thy soul. Correct thy son, and he shall give thee rest. What if I don't correct my son? I'm not going to have any rest, right? It's going to be one problem after another after another. And all of us, sadly, have known families like that. They didn't do their job of disciplining their children. So now... Years later, what do they got? They're still having trouble. There is no rest because they didn't do the job of correcting their children when they could have and when they should have. And so Solomon's principle, you don't, you don't administer sentence against an evil work in, in, in a timely fashion, then it, it, things are going to get worse and worse. That's certainly applicable in the discipline of children. I want to say that I think we can also see an application of this principle when it comes to church discipline. Uh, just like the previous points, you do it, you do it in a timely manner, or if you don't, it loses its intended purpose. And the intended purpose of church discipline is to help people, to help them, to correct them, to get them on the straight way that leads to heaven. If you don't do it, you don't do it in a timely manner, it loses its power to accomplish that good. Paul wrote about this. We know the text in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning verse 1. The apostle says, It's commonly reported that there is fornication among you, and such fornication is not so much as named among the Gentiles that one should have his father's wife. Okay, bad. Bad situation going on. A lot of immorality in this, this one particular individual is pointed out for the immoral things he was doing. And he hadn't done anything about it. Ye are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he that had done this deed might be taken away from among you. They had not administered sentence, right? Sentence delayed. So he goes on to tell them what they ought to do. 
in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you're gathered together in my spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, to deliver such a one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Your glorying is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Purge out, therefore, the old leaven. He says, now I've written to you, I've written unto you not to keep company. If any man that is called a brother be a fornicator or covetous or idolater or a railer or drunkard or an extortioner with such a one, know not to eat. I want to tell you, I, I think all would have to agree that the, that's what, what is taught here in this familiar text is very straightforward. Is, that's not that hard to understand, is it? Uh, read it. It's very clear. It makes sense. You don't have to have somebody to uh, hold your hand and walk you through that to understand that. That's just too clear, right? But too many have developed an attitude against this notion of church discipline. Uh, their idea is that, well, we might offend the person that we're trying to correct. It might be an offense. It might drive them away. It might completely alienate them. And they wouldn't want to have anything to do with the Lord's church ever again thereafter. I think those are all wrong attitudes. Our motive is supposed to be love and genuine concern. And if it's not interpreted that way, maybe we can do a better job of expressing that. But we need to understand that when we would discipline an unruly member, what we're doing there is just like we discipline a child. We don't want to do it. It hurts us to do it, but we do it for their good. That's what we're doing in regards to the wayward member of the church. In 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 14, Paul says, If any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man and have no company with him, that he may be ashamed. Yet count him not as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. Uh, taking this step would be a sign of our love and, uh, and concern toward the unrepentant brother or sister in Christ. And we ought to do that as a measure of love. And if we put off doing it, what we're saying is just like in these other areas, things will get worse. They won't get better. Do you agree? Do you agree that when it comes to criminal activity, we'd like to see our, our civil government act more in a more timely manner? That guy's been on death row for 34 years. Convicted when he was 26. He's 60 now. He's still on death row. Well, how's that working? It's not working, is it? Not working very well. We'd like to see our criminal justice system work in a more timely fashion. When it comes to discipline of children, sadly, we have all known families that didn't discipline their children when they could have, when they should have, and their kids went wild, got, got in a terrible circumstance, and they themselves have no rest now because they didn't discipline their children. Yeah, parents need to discipline their children or pay a sad consequence later in life. Well, if it's true of those two things, I want to submit to you it's true about church discipline too. If church discipline is not administered, not administered in a timely fashion, we're just asking for things to go from bad to worse. It won't get better. All right, finally, one last area where I think we can apply this idea of sentence delayed. If you delay the sentence, things will get worse. And that has to do uh, with ourselves and self-discipline. The very worst thing that any of us can do individually is let our sins go unchecked. Uh, not try to discipline ourselves in living righteous, moral lives. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, I keep under my body and bring it unto subjection, 
into a subjection rather, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. It's so impressive to me to think of the Apostle Paul and the strong Christian that he was, but he understood that he had to put forth constant effort to discipline himself. I'll tell you something, if Paul saw that need, certainly all of us have that need. We need to discipline ourselves, uh, keep bringing ourselves uh, under, the, under subjection to the law of God. In Second Peter chapter 1, beginning verse 5, these are the listing of the so-called Christian graces, the seven Christian graces. We've studied this many times before. But notice one of them in particular that applies to what we're talking about here. He says, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. Notice, for as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. Well, they're all necessary. And there's a sermon on each one of them, obviously, and needs to be. But we're concentrating here on the idea of disciplining self. And if I want it to be so that I will never stumble or fall, I've got to be busy disciplining self. And if I don't, if, you know, if, if I'm doing this one thing, I know it's wrong. I shouldn't be doing that. I know that. But I keep on doing it. I won't stop. I, I won't discipline myself. What happens if I continue in that course? I'm going to fall, right? It's not going to go well. I've got to discipline myself in timely fashion. When I know that I'm out of step with the will of God, I need to stop that right now. I need to, I need to repent and confess and pray for His forgiveness. Not allow that thing to drag on. Because if it drags on, what's going to happen? Well, go back to the statement of Solomon again. When it drags on and I don't correct it, the hearts of the son of men. Well, that's me this time, right? My heart is fully set in me to do evil when I don't discipline myself when I know that I'm out of step. Isn't that right? All right. Solomon made a famous statement there in Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 11. Because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. It's true. It was true 3,000 years ago, and it's true today as well. We need to be busy in ex executing discipline in all of those matters that we discussed this morning. Thanks for your good attention to what we had to say. And we bring the lesson to close. We're going to sing a song of invitation. In doing so, we'll be asking you, is your heart right with God? Have you corrected things that need to be corrected? Our lesson basically was about making corrections in our lives. That correction for you, if you're not yet a Christian, would be to humbly submit in obedience to that gospel plan of salvation. Hear, believe, repent, confess, be baptized for the remission of sins. If you've never done that, we hope you'll do that without delay. If you're a Christian already, but you've fallen away from serving the Lord, you need to discipline yourself. Come back to Him in repentance, confession, and prayer. We'd be glad to pray with you and for you this morning. If we can help in any way, let us know while we stand and sing. Sinners,